0: Well, so much for uh, easing into the old uh, offseason here for the Colts. Uh, Let's go find a left tackle. Kevin Bowen back, another edition of Kevin's Corner. We are, what, 72 hours, I guess, into the offseason for the Colts, and the most important player on the football team, most indispensable player on the football team, as you guys have heard me reference for the last two years, is no longer going to play the game of football. Anthony Costanzo announces his retirement. On Tuesday morning and one of the key, key offseason questions, Dominoes has fallen. And about the only positive of it is he did it on January 12th. And now you have plenty of time to kind of shift and alter the plan for this 2021 massive offseason. So a little bit of emergency pod today. Won't be very long. Just all Costanzo-centric. Um, I've probably got a handful of people that have DM'd me in the last hour or two with some Costanzo thoughts and questions. So we'll hit on those and then come back. It looks like late Thursday afternoon. Uh, Chris Bauer is going to talk at his season-ending presser. Uh, I think it's 1 o'clock on Thursday. So Chris Presley and I will be back, again, late Thursday afternoon, recapping everything that the GM has to say. Um, so, yeah, let's let's start with Costanzo. Uh, again, Tuesday morning, released a statement. And it uh, just goes to show you, whenever you see Frank Wright, Chris Ballard, Jim Ursay quotes all in the same press release, that usually is an indicator of what the organization thinks of that player. And he is certainly a pillar, I think was the word that Ballard used, and that is very accurately stated. You know, I'm not shocked by any means um, on, on this decision. I think two things stood out to me with the Costanzo uh just lingering cloud that he later admitted. And we talked to him a little bit earlier in the afternoon, this thought kind of always hung with him. He was glad that he came back. He was glad that he played in 2020, but the thought of retirement never really stopped for him. And I think part of that was just the lingering sort of COVID situation. You know, honestly, uh, Costanzo was probably one of the Colts that debated opting out the most and, and certainly has taken COVID extremely seriously. And so if that's going to impact, you know, his training regimen for 2021 or OTAs or, you know, who knows what the offseason program is going to look like for the NFL this year. Uh, that probably, you know, played into it a little bit. He did say he talked to Andrew Luck and Jack Muhort, and everyone can freak out about Andrew Luck. You know, oh, my gosh, right? he told AC to retire. I Shut up. But I do think that, you know, you know, played a little bit into it. And, you know, he, he kept on using the phrase like he couldn't get a clear picture of the process of football and that might sound like super in depth and it is but that's ac Um, he's a very intellectual human being he loves the process of football loves training and he's such a technician at it and i think once he lost sight of that um, or maybe again just wasn't as clear of a picture that's what contributed to him and then he did admit that the injuries that he suffered this season, the most injury-riddled season of his career, uh, the rib injury, the uh, sprained MCL, and then the offseason surgery that he will need on his ankle, he said that was kind of the extra punctuation on this decision for him. So uh, Chris Bower, Frank Reich, no need to try and talk him out of this. There was pretty strong conviction from AC um, on this decision, and again, something that he felt and pondered last year. Decided to come back 16 million in cap space. It does free up for the Colts, for those looking for any sort of positives, but that's about it. Because now it adds such a big um, piece that must be addressed right here, right now. This isn't something that you can put off. This is not Costanza on one-year deal and you can play with fire and try to survive another offseason and season. No, no, no. Um, you made the mistake last year in not drafting a tackle. And now you have to make that move. And an outside name or Quentin Nelson is probably going to be your week one left tackle. Let's start here, just an appreciation for Anthony Costanzo. Um, I, I don't know if I've stood on a table maybe more for a player in the history of this podcast than I have AC. There's a few of my colleagues, um, and no one may be directly on the beat, but I've certainly gone on some radio shows that maybe have not appreciated Costanzo to the level that I have. Um, I, I just think it's ludicrous that people didn't think as highly of him as they should have. Was he a top three, five tackle in the NFL? No. Uh, for the last decade, have you ever thought about who else should start at left tackle? No. I mean, like, that's so rare to be as reliable, consistent, and a dependable as he was. And then also, I just thought he set a great example for the rest of the offensive line the number speaks for themselves. I crunched them a little bit earlier today, and I will give them to you now. The Colts' record with Costanzo, regular season, 79-65. and So that's a win percentage of 548. That that equates to about a eight or nine win season. Colts' points scored per game 23.4 when Costanzo is in the lineup. The win percentage without him, again, that is 16 career games. So he played... 144 of 160 games. He really played every game of, I think it's like six seasons, and then just kind of had a few other seasons where he'd miss like three or four games. But without Costanzo in the lineup, the Colts were 4-12 and in the regular season. That is a 250 win percentage. So basically, if you look at that win percentage, it's about a 300-point difference. That is the difference. in Costanzo on the field is like winning eight or nine games, and Costanzo off the field is like winning four games for an entire season. I mean, that to me is like one player that plays on your offensive line is worth four to five wins if you extrapolate that out for an entire season. It's it's crazy. Um, and then you look at the points. I mentioned 23.4 When he's on the field, twenty point four. When he's off the field, so again, this is a guy that certainly uh, the win loss record speaks for itself. And I mean, in today's NFL, one player mattering three points. (laughs) I mean, shit. You don't have to look very far. Look at Saturday when you didn't have Costanzo in the lineup. That's finishing off one red zone drive. And I know that's kind of a very sore subject. So I hate to drive that point home right now, but I think it's needed to be driven home. And I think. Um, hopefully the emotional toll has waned a little bit for fans but if not it just goes to show you again what Anthony Costanzo has meant to this franchise since being drafted in 2011 he told some great stories he's such a candid guy great individual Um, he told some great stories about facing Dwight Freeney in training camp in 2011 and he thought oh my gosh I'm not going to last in this league at all and he he said he would have laughed if someone told him he had he was going to play a decade in the NFL after that 2011 training camp and Robert Mathis had a Tweet today about, you know, kind of going from a young pup to an absolute dog. I, I tweeted out a, um, a side-by-side picture of Costanzo in his 2011 training camp versus him later in his career. and he, I mean, he his look is so drastically different from, uh, you know, kind of the shaved head, bald head, uh, almost you call it, uh, in 2011 to what he played with kind of his last handful of years. And he did become, um, you know, one of the more durable and consistent left tackles in the league, um, I remember asking Quentin Nelson this time last year about Costanzo. And, you know, when you get Quentin talking about other players, he, he actually has a really, really insightful quote. And I thought um, it really told the story of Quentin's first five games of his rookie season playing, you know, next to, gosh, I'm trying to think. Was it Jamarcus Webb and, like, Raven Clark in that 2018 season? When Costanzo, remember, uh, injured his hamstring a couple times and aggravated it, so missed those first five games. And uh, Nelson's quote was this. My rookie year, there was a big difference. The first five games playing without him to when he came back. It's been awesome playing next to him. He's such a selfless guy in the way he plays. He'll do anything to make my job easier, and I just appreciate him. His work ethic, the way he comes in every day, and sets a great example for a lot of the young guys on this team. And we have a young team, so he sets a great example for all these guys. He's a very valuable guy. And I know some might just kind of scoff over that quote and, oh yeah, it's just a player talking about a teammate. But I I just think specifically you've got to kind of look into that and and there's a lot of merit to what Nelson said and really the example he sets. I mean, this is a technician. Like if you watch him on the practice field, he'll come out there and he won't be lazy and he will not act like he's been out on the practice field 300 times in his NFL career. He is working his craft and he loves loved and it's always weird when you use past tense talking about players that have retired but he loved to drill and train and perfect things that's him that's the boston college in him that's the silicon valley you know sort of internships that he's done and past off seasons he is a he had a great quote today about just letting his brain uh kind of live and breathe that that's what he's going to do in retirement and kind of see what, what what's going to naturally happen he did say you know, maybe at some point down the road, he might get into scouting. He does love that part and did a little bit of that with Ed Dodds, the assistant GM, uh, over the past you know few years, just kind of getting scouting reports on players around the league that Costanzo would face. But uh, but yeah, I, I I think he's a brilliant mind and just super super um, wants to know the why and the how. And I think that is what you know it's certainly gravitated a guy like Andrew Luck and him together. But um, yeah, just a just a great individual. I I'll never forget. Boy, this had to be maybe, gosh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Going to the Notre Dame Boston College football game. I think Matt Ryan was BC's quarterback. BC just kicked Notre Dame's ass, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, you know that, that that's too aggressive. I think it was maybe a two score game, but it certainly felt like Notre Dame got ran out of the building. But um, I happened to be, I think I was sitting with my good friends. Um, Holton Witcher and uh, and Tyler Kiever and maybe even Jason Seward as well. And we um we happened to be sitting next to Anthony Castanzo's parents at that game. And I'll never forget how frightened his mom was. Because AC went to a prep school, I think it was Forky Union, if I'm not mistaken, and he started as a true freshman at right tackle at Boston College and weighed like two sixty. And she was just so frightened that, you know, oh my gosh, that's my baby out there. And they were from the Chicago area, and and, and, and I, I know his parents, I think, went to honestly every NFL game that AC played, or at least the vast majority of them, no matter where the game was played. But just so nervous that like, oh my gosh, how's he going to hold up? You know, this is these are grown 22-year-olds that have been in weight rooms for you know X amount of years, and here's my 18-year-old son and all this, and he'd, he'd given up all this weight compared to most offensive linemen. Um, but ended up being, you know, a four-year starter, and and was the last, you know, real I think draft pick of that Pullion era um, to do anything, you know, in the NFL. Ben Igelana was also taken in the second round. That tackle out of where did he go? He go to UConn maybe, and that certainly didn't work out. But um, Castanzo started 12 games as a rookie, and I was supposed to be, you know, kind of that new blindside for for Peyton Manning, and end up being Andrew Luck and on. You know, I've certainly tried to make this clear to our listening audience just exactly what a Costanzo presence means to game plan. But I think you just have to reiterate it. Like, Frank Wright can probably count on one hand the times he's helped Anthony Costanzo. Honestly, maybe in Frank Wright's tenure here. Um, Certainly in a season or by far in a game. You just go to sleep Tuesday night, Monday night, getting ready to install an offensive game plan. And that running back or that tight end, they don't need a chip on that left side. You can let Costanzo be, and that's a luxury. And not only was he dependable from a durability standpoint, but on a third down in the red zone, when you want to use all your skilled players, having 74 blocking the blind side is just such a benefit and Reich made that very clear about um, how huge that was from a game plan standpoint. And think about just the revolving door that Costanzo had to deal with at so many of those other positions on the line. You know, really, until the Colts got Ryan Kelly, no one, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, no one was a consistent starting presence on a multi-year basis. I'm talking probably three to four years throughout Costanzo's first five or six seasons in the league. Think about how much of a revolving door you had at left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle, really until you found Ryan Kelly in 2016. But there was Costanzo, game in and game out, year in and year out, being there at left tackle. And now, of course, it comes down to how do you replace that? What should and will the Colts do to try and fill, again, the most indispensable player? On their roster. Now, Quentin Nelson uh, is the most obvious in-house choice to me. My hesitancy comes from this. We still have seen Quint Nelson play, what, 10 snaps? Was it even 10 in that Raiders game? Those are the only left tackle snaps that kid has taken. And I say kid because he's younger than me, and I guess once you become older than people, you just call everyone kids. Since his high school days. We've talked about it. You know, Mike McGlinchey and Zach Martin and Ronnie Stanley, there wasn't a need to play Nelson at tackle at Notre Dame. So he was a guard. And you've got to make some sort of projection if you're the Colts. Because, again, being a left tackle in practice is a little bit different than doing it in a game. And playing a little bit more in space is different as well. And I really think Nelson, we have to be honest too, he is a weapon, as a run blocker, really from that guard spot. It helps you pull. A little bit easier going to the right. Sure, you can still pull tackles, but it's not as frequent as you're pulling guards in the run game, and the Colts do that a whole lot. And I also think like defensive lines have grown over the years in the NFL to where, yes, you still want a great dominant left tackle, but now interior pressure is more immense. And even, you know, there's pressure off the right side. You know, think about the Watt brothers. They both line up, you know, opposite the right tackle a whole lot more than certainly moving over to the left side of that line. So, um, I just think that that's some stuff to keep in mind. Now, Nelson, you know, is a very good athlete. I thought he looked, you know, fine there. And, and Costanza said that he, he does think he has the skills to be a left tackle, you know, in, in that Raiders game. But the advantage he does have is his body movements. And I guess just maybe – um I don't know, a little bit of the muscle memory is used to playing the left side. You know, he was a left guard at Notre Dame. Pretty sure he's a left guard, yeah. And um a guy like Braden Smith flipping over, you know, that is the muscle memory would be exact opposite. And again, Braden Smith was a right guard and a right tackle, I think, just for a game, at Auburn. So you're asking him to flip sides, change a lot of that muscle memory, and then you of course, just run into the situation where you know Quentin Nelson is a Hall of Famer at left guard. You know Braden Smith is one of the better right tackles in the league. Are you sacrificing something and moving one of those guys to left tackle to, while, to now they might be an average left tackle? And then the guy you plug in at right tackle or the guy you plug in at left guard certainly isn't going to be at a Hall of Fame level, level at left guard or one of the best right tackles in the league. So just those are all the dominoes you have to keep on thinking about. Now, does it make sense financially to pay Quentin Nelson the absurd amount of money you have to pay him, which rightfully so, and he's doing it at left tackle, and then Danny Pinter, who's a, what, fifth-round draft pick, can plug in a left guard? Sure, yeah. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense, especially financially, and the financials of this is something you have to think about and project, but this is going to be difficult, folks. I mean, you're paying Quentin Nelson huge money very soon, you're going to pay Braden Smith big money. I think this offseason you should extend him. And then, obviously, Ryan Kelly is one of the highest paid centers in the NFL. And I guess that gets into the trickiness of if you go out and pay a left tackle in free agency. You know, a lot of people throw the name Trent Williams at me. Um, I know Russell Okung, and I don't know if you got to give him a lot of Bitcoin to bring him here. Um, Villanueva from Pittsburgh, and I think Cam Robinson, I believe, is a free agent from Jacksonville. Joe Haig is also a free agent, although... Um, I don't think he has a whole lot of experience at left tackle. So that's just the difficulty of going out there, finding a veteran. Um, Now, at the same time, finding a rookie is no easy thing, and finding a rookie that is a plug-and-play guy from day one is no easy thing. I mean, listen to Costanzo talk about it, and that was a decade ago. Now you have college offenses that certainly don't come from a lot of the same pro-style systems that did even a decade ago. So I think those are some things that you have to keep in mind as well. Um but man, just a huge huge loss from a game plan standpoint. And uh gosh, I mean, think of that. I mean, think of that win loss record that I just talked about. I mean, the difference in an 8 or 9 win season versus a 4 and 12 football team. One player, one non-quarterback. That's Kasantz all right, we got a handful of questions that I wanted to get to. Like I was saying earlier, Chris and I will be back Thursday afternoon, recapping what Chris Ballard has to say at his season-ending presser. But um, just all Costanzo Pacific stuff. I know a ton of you have sent me podcast questions over the last few weeks. I got a big, big running log, uh, and at some point, you know, we'll we'll get to all of them. But you know, it's kind of the off season. If they're not time sensitive, there's no need in putting them into pods just yet. Um, So let's start here with Scotty. Scotty says, hi, Kevin. If the Colts want to draft the QB of the future, in my view, you have to move Nelson to left tackle. Draft capital isn't there to get good or great at both. Thoughts? Yeah, I I probably wholeheartedly agree with you there, Scotty. I mean, this is what makes this thing so complicated and difficult, is that finding a long-term solution at left tackle in a way, is very similar to finding a long-term solution at quarterback. And really, to be fair, finding a long-term solution at virtually any position in free agency is difficult. But, you know, it, it can be done. And, you know, the Colts have gotten, you know, three really good seasons out of a guy like Denico Autry as a starter defensive line. Uh, that's rare to find at left tackle or quarterback in free agency. So... If you are going to do something and it doesn't involve draft picks, it's got to be Nelson, in my opinion. It has to be Nelson. Now, I'll say this, Scotty. You Can you develop a second or third rounder at left tackle? Um, if you trade up for a quarterback, do you trade up future picks? And maybe you still have your current kind of 2021 haul, which, again, and I posted this in a story on 1075thefan.com earlier in the day the Colts don't have that extra second round pick this year and major credit to Chris Ballard for the assembling of draft capital that he did in recent years. But you know, 2018, you traded back to the Jets. So you had that additional 20 2018 pick from the Jets, 2019, you had that other second rounder that you got from the Jets. And then 2020, you had the additional second rounder from Washington when you traded out of the first round then and took Rocky scene, you know, early in that 2020 second round. So, or 2019 second round. So, when you only have seven draft picks, that is something that you know you just have to keep in mind. Um, and it, again, it compl- compl- <laughs> complicates things because you know you still have edge rusher, you still have corner, you still have wideout. I mean, there are other positions as well, not just quarterback and left tackle related, that certainly are of priority this offseason. All right, Trevor says, do you think Big Q could actually want to move to left tackle because they typically make more money than guards as he's preparing for his next contract? Here, Trevor, it's a it's a good question. I'll, I'll say this, uh, Quentin Nelson's going to make damn good money at left guard or left tackle. Damn good money. He might be the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL at guard. And again, this kind of goes back to my earlier point, like guards are starting to make more money. The interior pressure, especially with quick ry- rhythm quarterbacks, it's so key that you know, guards are viewed in a very – and I think a much higher light than we viewed them, you know, five or ten years ago. And even Peyton always said, you know, it was the interior pressure that really got to him. He can step into a throw if it's edge pressure and step into the pocket as long as that's clean. But when you muddy up that interior pocket and your quarterback's not very mobile, that's where you run into issues. Um, you know, I – unfortunately i i tried to request quentin nelson late in the year once he played out at tackle and unfortunately he was not made available um, to the media so it, it, we don't really know nelson's own thoughts um, obviously he's asked talked to costanzo about it so you have to think there's some interest i, I mean for what it's worth his mom like favorited a tweet about oh quentin playing left tackle so boy um that could be more of just, oh, let's read into favorited tweets from family members. That sounds like a just a horrific idea. But uh, yeah, I just said it, so there, there you go. I don't know. It's, you know, Nelson probably looks at it as well and has to look in the mirror and think, boy, do I want to be a Hall of Fame guard and one of the best ever or do I want to take a chance, go play tackle, but I might not be known as that level of a left tackle. Yeah, that's, those are some interesting thoughts there that you have to think about. All right, Brennan, you think any chance of Braden Smith could switch to left tackle, gave up zero sacks this year, and it would be easier if we draft a rookie tackle to put them at right tackle? Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that, that last part. It probably is easier to put a rookie tackle at right tackle, but I go back to what I said earlier about just, it's such a, Braden is so, his body only knows, really, the all right side, lower body movement, right-hand dominant movement. Um, that's how his pass sets are. That's how he is as a polar That's how he is as a run blocker, it, you know, coming out of his three-point stance, you know, all of it, two-point stance, I mean, all of it is right-side driven. So I think you have to keep that in mind as well. Um, you know, part of me honestly thinks it's just you're going to have to hit on a draft pick, and, and, and I I don't know, maybe the Nelson thing will work out, and that would be, I think, ideal because, again, you have Pinter in-house to where it could be Danny Pinter at left guard, Ryan Kelly at center, Mark Lewinsky still under contract, him at right guard, and then obviously you're leaving Nelson and Braden Smith there. But, again, hitting on a rookie is no guarantee, and hitting on a rookie right away is a huge need. But I don't want to lose sight of this. Like, don't think for a second I think left tackle is a bigger need than quarterback. Like, yeah. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. I mean, like that, don't, no. Yes, you have to find a left tackle, but a damn good quarterback can help you mask some things. Mitchell, since Costanzo is gone, I think the perfect free agency uh, signing over the offseason would be left tackle Trent Williams, quarterback Matthew Stafford, wide receiver T.Y. Hilton, and Kenny Galladay. Since Stafford knows him, And then as a wild-card prediction, the Colts sign a pass rusher. I need your thoughts on this. Always love the pot. Well, Mitchell, first, um, boy, I'd love to see the financials and how all that played out. Yeah, what about Xavier Rhodes? What did you do on the D-line? Justin Houston, free agent. Danica Autry, free agent. Yeah, I I think you got to be very realistic there. You know, I, with the Hilton-Galladay thing, yeah, in a perfect world, you would have the ability to sign both. But, I mean, financially and just resource-wise, I, I think that's more of a Madden thought than an actual execution thought. First off, does T.Y. and Kenny Galladay both want to be here, along with Pittman and Campbell seemingly you know coming up. So, a lot of that sounds great. A lot of it makes sense, honestly, but financially, that's just difficult. Again, Um, you have to think about all of that. Um. Okay, Wyatt is AC the best player in history to never make a Pro Bowl or a, a Pro Bowl. Um. Yeah, Wyatt. I. You know, I'm not gonna act like I know all the non. You know, biggest Pro Bowl snubs of NFL careers, but I'll just say this. You know, Anthony Costanza to me was definitely a snub. You know, I wasn't shocked by it. The guy's not on social media. The guy's not some hothead by any means. He's not a You know, big-time talker, it's, um, you know, he's kind of flies a little bit under the radar. And so, uh, and in general, he played on some poor offensive lines, you know, in that Andrew Luck era. So I think there's just a little bit of a stigma there of, like, you look at Cleveland Browns, you look at the Baltimore Ravens, those guys, you know, this year, Pittsburgh as well, have kind of gone to the Pro Bowl because I feel like at least the public perception is they're on great offensive lines and they need multiple guys to go in there. You know, there was some debate about Costanzo on the Ring of Honor. You know, I, I can't go Ring of Honor. Joel Erickson, a colleague of mine, brought up a great point about you know the Colts could maybe use a Hall of Fame and then a Ring of Honor as well, just to kind of separate some things. And you know, Costanzo's a damn good football player. Great ten-year career. Whatever that step below the Ring of Honor is, is probably the group that I would have him in. And Costanzo, and I thought he had a great quote. I tweeted it out and I put it on Instagram as well. Great quote about just the city of Indianapolis, what it meant to him to play here for all 10 of his NFL seasons. And I I had the pleasure of going to Riley Hospital a few times with Costanzo and and a few Colts, Andrew Luck and Joe Wrights, and a few other guys that did the um, caroling at Riley Hospital in the month of December. And, oh, my gosh, Costanzo lived for that. Oh, he, he loved that so much. I think his presence, honestly, brought Andrew, you know, out a little bit of a, hey, I can just, do, you know, can be my normal self here and be fun and, and goofy. And the kids just absolutely loved it. And Costanza just poured his heart into that, that community event. I thought that was always kind of a fun day to see AC and his element. You know, he's, again, he didn't seek out the microphone or very boisterous. But, boy, when he got going, I mean, again, super intellectual, great talker and everything, and I have no doubt that he will be a brilliant, brilliant mind in whatever he decides to do post-football. So that kind of wraps up, you know, again, uh, Anthony Costanzo retirement pod. Just a huge, huge off-season need, and I'll say what I've said before. I thought it was a mistake last year to go through the entire draft, especially, you know, in the year prior when you didn't draft a tackle till the seventh round. Um, I thought you played with fire kind of as a backup tackle and really pushed all your chips into Anthony Costanzo fulfilling this two-year contract. When a guy starts to ponder retirement, that's the red flag. It's a two-year contract, but I think you had to be honest with yourself, especially once the COVID stuff started to happen. Then you can come back in the draft kind of late April, and I thought drafting a tackle was more important than drafting an interior guy as well. So now that need is just massive. I mean, it's when you talk short-term need for this football team, man, there's, there's so many at the premium spots. And this is something I do want to talk about a little bit more kind of on future pods. Of you, know, you, you hear a lot about, and I've said this, the foundation is very, very solid. And I believe that, and I will continue to stand by that. But the foundation at critical spots, that needs renovating. And it needs renovating almost right now. And if it doesn't get the renovating right now, it certainly needs it very, very soon as well. So in an ideal world, you know, Quentin Nelson would probably be your left tackle of 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 the future and would play at a very, very high level. In a financial world, um, that makes some sense. Also just finding a left tackle on a rookie contract would help. And can you get You know, what Cleveland maybe has gotten out of Jedrick Wills, you know, in this rookie season. That would be great. But again, Wills is what? Top 15 pick. So that's just the corner that you've kind of been put in by this decision here and just the lack of in house guys that could, you know, potentially bump up or, you know, a little bit more of a passing of the torch sort of situation here in Indianapolis. So. Appreciate everybody tuning in to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Again, we'll be back late Thursday afternoon. Got a couple articles up on the site about the Costanzo retirement and exactly what the Colts are losing, what it means, and uh, we'll get into maybe weighing some of the pros and cons of these other decisions here in the days and weeks to come. So everybody have a great week, and i uh, talk to you on Thursday.